When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Hey everybody, I'm John Lovett. Welcome to Love It or Leave It. Before we get started, I just want to remind everybody, if you're looking for a way to help those in need, Crooked's Coronavirus Relief Fund spreads your donation equally to groups providing critical support to food banks, healthcare workers, restaurant workers, seniors, kids who depend on school lunches, and more. We've set a new goal. We're trying to get to a million dollars. People have donated so much, and it means so much. We're almost there. You can donate at crooked.com slash coronavirus. That's crooked.com slash coronavirus. Now, welcome back, everybody, to the third installment of Love It or Leave It back in the closet. Ronan caught a love it, put the back in the closet, because you can't catch corona if you leave it out the closet, yeah. That's the new Back in the Closet intro song by Casey Catalbas and Brock Fletcher. Uh, so many of you sent in so many awesome intros that we're going to use a new one each week. If you want to make one, you can send it to hey at crooked.com, and maybe we'll use yours next week. We have a great show I am recording from the couch in my home. This is the very first time we've recorded out of my house. But we have some amazing guests lined up. Stephen Merchant, Kara Swisher, and Beck Bennett. All right, let's get into it. What a week. I am here live in my house. This is the first show in the history of Love It or Leave It without any audience whatsoever. No one in the studio. No one in the at the improv. So here to help me understand which of my jokes work and which of them do not work, please welcome the writer and director of the original British version of The Office and more importantly, the creator of Lip Sync Battle on Spike, actor, writer, producer, a man whose approval I desperately seek, <laughs> Stephen Merchant. <laughs> Thank you so much, Don. You know, funnily enough, I, this is how you should have began your career. You understand that, right? You should have started as a lonely man in your house who over time built up to performing in front of a live audience. But you, so arrogant are you, that having never performed seemingly live in front of an audience ever, thought, yeah, I think the best thing to do is to start with an hour-long live comedy show. It's true. I've danced through the raindrops uh, my entire <laughs> life. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, so, well, Stephen, how are you holding up? How are you doing? I would quite happily never leave my house in most normal circumstances. Um, I would happily never see people. So this is working out for me. There are times where I'm almost, you know, just in regular life, uh, thinking I'll, I'll maybe keep urine in jars and grow a long beard and kind of really mm -hmm. how I use it. So this to me is a great dry run for that. For those listening to the podcast, you should know that uh, Stephen's fingernails do wrap in a circle. That's like right. Like those Guinness Book of World Records people. Yes. Once this is over, I will not be going bowling. There is no way I'm getting these <laughs> fingers in them little holes. Um, no, I, I, so what about you? Are you is this is this because you're not a, you're not a sociable man? All right, okay, uh, sure. I, you can live without people. No, I would say that um, I miss the option. Yes, you know, I'd like the option. No, I mean we're fine. You know, Ronan and I are fine. We have each other. We have pundit. We have a fridge full of food. We are learning how to cook. <laughs> 
you know, we're doing so we have a really good situation. So I am remaining very upbeat and thinking about the people who have it much worse than me. Uh, that is not to say every once in a while I don't just walk outside and go for a walk just to have a few minutes outside. Yeah, absolutely. And um, most of my life is spent writing on a project here or there. And that is a lot of being at home and isolated anyway. So but for those that actually have to go out in the world and make a proper living, I mean, I don't know where your head's at at this point. I mean, it's it's terrifying, and I do feel bad for those people. And um, I think I'm one of those people who's sort of preparing for the worst in that this could drag on until Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I'm already getting in sort of Christmas puddings, turkey. <laughs> you know, I'm 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 assuming this is good. we're going to be here for the long haul, and just hoping that that proves not to be the case. Do you worry at all about the glut of ponderous, self-important? deep projects that people are currently writing the completely <laughs> banal masterworks that are going to be emerging i'm more worried <laughs> about the endless zombie movies that are being written about a mysterious virus that takes over the world because i feel there's a lot of screenwriters working on that project all right let's get into it i'm going to tell some monologue jokes about the news and you'll just let me know after each one how you're feeling okay <laughs> here we go it's been two weeks since Crooked started working from home, which means officially I have done dishes upwards of 45,000 times. That just seems like good math. That doesn't, that doesn't strike me as a joke, but onwards. All right, fair, fair enough. We're all, I'm going to give you another one. Uh, we're all learning lessons during this quarantine period, and the lesson I've learned is that I don't own enough forks. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like anything where the punchline is forks. Last week, it seemed that we might be quarantined like this for months. Uh, if not longer. But then Donald Trump realized this whole lockdown thing might be bad for the stock market and his re-election. So on Monday, he suggested we might all be able to get back to work on Easter Sunday. Take a listen. Easter is a very special day for many reasons. For me, for a lot of, a lot of our friends, that's a very special day. And what a great timeline this would be. Easter is our timeline. What a great timeline that would be. I may be Jewish, but this Easter is going to be a very meaningful day for me because it's the day I get coronavirus. <laughs> That's great. I'm loving this. Yeah, he's having a, we're having a great time. This is exactly what the show should be every week. You come on and entertain me one-on-one. <laughs> Here's another Easter joke, Stephen. This will be just like the first Easter, but in reverse, since it will take people a few days to realize they're going to die. Because, <laughs> you know, Jesus it, rose. No, sure, but it's a little messy, that one. It doesn't... Yeah. It is. No... It's hard to figure out. I was trying to fix it to make it so, you know, except in reverse since. Yeah, but it's like Jesus died and then but now we're Jesus. Are we dying? It just, it seems muddy. Right. It is muddy. Well, it's sort of like you want to say, because at first you think you're going to be fine and then you realize you're dead. Right. You know, that that maybe flips it. Yeah. All right. We'll workshop it. Because he rose and he's the son of God. I don't know. I mean, this it, it smacks of um, the joke of a, of a Jewish person who doesn't fully understand um, our Christian faith. Point taken. Uh, Trump went on to say this. There's tremendous hope as we look forward and we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Friendly reminder that the light at the end of the tunnel is the thing you see when you die in the ICU. <laughs> All right. Uh, next joke. Trump's pressure to ease restrictions, including his plan to create a county by county risk map takes place even as the number of U.S. coronavirus cases has begun to surge. On Wednesday, the United States reported more than 14,000 new cases. That is the most cases detected by any country in a single day since the pandemic began, and roughly the same number of times I've done dishes this week. <laughs> it seems that was to a callback. Basically, almost all the punchlines are either about 
dishwashing or death. That's who's well, what else is what else is going on, Stephen? That's what's on my mind. <laughs> As of Friday, there were more cases in the United in the United States than any other country on earth, including China and Italy. The US is now the epicenter of the pandemic. Trump said we'd be sick of winning. Now we're literally sick from winning. <laughs> Lovely. You can't be a bit of uh, wordplay. I'm playing to my audience. I'm pandering. Stephen Merchant loves wordplay. That feels like a t-shirt waiting to happen. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump did manage to resuscitate the only patient he cares about, Dow Jones. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I would describe that as, I describe that as delicious. It is. It's a delicious joke. I want you to know that I really tried to make sure we were giving you hard, absurd classic monologue jokes oh this is a plus this is this could easily be on leno circa 1988 thank you thank you that you mean before he lost his edge so i will take that as a compliment markets rallied thanks to a two trillion dollar stimulus package passed by the senate or perhaps the coming launch of the streaming service quibi (laughs) (laughs) a little niche maybe playing more to your hollywood crowd Yes, that was niche. Democrats were actually able to get a good amount of concessions from the Republican-controlled Senate. Here's what's in the bill. First, the bill includes a $500 billion loan program for businesses, which Democrats negotiated to include oversight by both Congress and the Treasury Department, which would also prohibit Donald Trump or any member of his family from receiving the loans. This $500 billion also includes aid for airlines, seemingly in exchange for some sort of government stake in their business. Uh, Stephen, brace for this one. It meanders. Just flagging for you. Now when I ask for more Biscoff cookies... With my gayest voice to signal to the gay flight attendant that we're cool. And he says, uh, no, you've had enough. And I say, Barry, those are my cookies. I own this airline, bitch. And he says, bitch, so do I. And then we laugh and flirt and he throws me the cookies. And I think being gay is fun. <laughs> that felt more like a sort of jazz joke. You know? Yeah, that was. It was just kind of doing its thing, you know, and you either get in that groove or you don't. Yeah, you either, and you have to just sort of listen for the jokes I'm not making. Absolutely, like it's that's, very much, it's, it's, it's where the, yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the jokes that you're not making, you're absolutely right. And to be honest with you, it was not for me. <laughs> kind of like a lot of jazz, it just wasn't for me. No, I, and, I, and I hear that, and I'm so glad you told me, because it's really important that you can be honest, because you've given me a lot of really good laughs at a really dark time, some of which, we can all just be honest, were generous. Very generous. That was from the heart. That was from the gut. That was sincere. I did not dial that up by by much. (laughs) Next, the bill includes what Schumer is calling unemployment insurance on steroids. This will add another $600 per week for four weeks on top of what states already offer for unemployment, plus your balls shrink. (laughs) That one I enjoyed because it just went low in the end there. It was just like, you thought, you know what I mean? I've had the word play. I've had re- esoteric references to streaming services no one's heard of. Now I'm just mm-hmm. going to come in here, you know, all guns blazing at the end for my, my dare I say, your more crass audience. Yeah. One for us, one for them. <laughs> That's exactly you it. Know? That's great. The bill extends to gig freelance and furloughed workers as well, but this relief upset Lindsey Graham quite a bit. If you're a nurse, aid making 15 or $16 an hour, you're on the front lines here. A lot of doctor's offices are going to have to roll back because elective surgery is no longer a source of income for a bunch of doctors. You're going to have all these well-trained nurses that are going to make $24 an hour on unemployment. You're literally incentivizing taking people out of the workforce. Look, Stephen, it makes sense. This kind of ruthless profiteering is why people get into nursing. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I enjoyed that because that just had good quality satire. It just was satire with a capital S. Um, and I appreciated that and respected that. Yeah, and from the left, you know, we're punching up, you know? Yeah. No, that was strong. This unemployment insurance is urgent. On Thursday, we learned that more than 3 million people filed for unemployment last week, an all-time record. That's a lot of thieving, shifty, sticky-fingered nurses. <laughs> Good. Kind of a play on the joke that you'd already done. Um, so I'm perhaps trying to double down on that. Uh, but I thought, yeah, I'm going with it. Well, there was maybe, I needed a joke in between, but I'm just trying to keep it moving. You know, I got to keep it moving for the energy, for the energy. The bill also includes expanded funds for hospitals, medical equipment, and protections for healthcare workers, increased aid to state and local governments, and direct payments to everyone else. But before Andrew Yang rips all his clothes off and runs naked through empty Times Square, well, rock hard. Sorry, Stephen, for that image. This isn't universal basic income. I'll pause to say there that there's a joke inside of that, you know, a little image of of Andrew Yang running naked with an erection through Times Square. But I will say two problems. A, not that strong of an image. And B, I didn't commit. I didn't commit. I think you've, yeah, and also I find that image too erotic. It took me out of it. Yeah, you're in another place. Yeah, I'm just thinking of that. And it's, it's kind of beautiful. So in the bill, there's a one-time payment of $1,200 to every American who makes less than $75,000. If you file jointly and make under $150,000 as a couple, you'll receive $2,400. Plus, you will get an additional $500 for every child that I know of. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay. We would call that over here laddish. That was a laddish one-liner. Yeah. Well, it's fun, right? Because like I'm gay, so it's like not real. Yeah. It's like in the moment I'm a character and the character is a guy that thinks he yeah. might have kids. It, that's your little Andrew Dice Clay moment. I know. Hickory dickory dock. All right. Uh, <laughs> on Friday, as the bill was set to pass the House unanimously, one Republican, Thomas Massey, objected, which delayed passage and forced House members to gather together to vote down the objection. This goes against Nancy Pelosi's desire to let the chamber socially distance. But in Massey's defense, people have been socially distancing from him since he was killing frogs in grade school. Love it. Good. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Just a, just a classic dig implying he's a psychopath. I love it. Finally, I want to end with this clip, which is maybe the most relatable thing Donald Trump has ever said. It's still terrible. It's still the whole thing. The whole concept of death is terrible. (laughs) You exist. Poof. You don't exist. Where do I go? I don't know. Am I a materialist? Do I believe consciousness exists outside of the realm of the physical? If all aspects of existence through chemistry and physics can be explained without resorting to some metaphysical non-causal notion of consciousness, perhaps consciousness is an illusion. And yet, if it's an illusion, what is that which is considering the illusory quality of the illusion itself? How do I ponder the fact that I do not, in fact, ponder? Anyways, I think that's what he was trying to get at. Stephen. That was a lovely one to end with. I felt like that would have, it was beautifully written, but it would have been stronger had it been delivered by Alec Baldwin doing his Trump impression. Okay. Okay. Good note. I didn't, I, again, I was more doing the, uh, the intonation and I did not commit to the voice. I hear you. Yeah. But before I let you go, one last question. What is the nature of consciousness? Um, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I'll ponder on that while I'm uh, thinking about the, uh, the, the dick joke that you told earlier. Okay, good. The point is, death is terrible. We need to do everything in our power to keep people home, flatten the curve, and learn to make a dish that isn't ziti with store-bought marinara sauce poured on top of ground turkey with frozen broccoli stirred in so that you can say there was a vegetable. <laughs> See, I know that you, you're, you're laughing and I appreciate that, but you don't relate to that joke because you are a consummate chef. Yeah, but again, that was me trying to appeal to the, uh, the masses. Yeah. You know, whereas, yes, of course, I'm, I live in very rarefied air. I just felt like, are we making that into a chant, flatten the curve? It feels like a, a lot like Locker Up. 
flatten the curve, build the wall. Yeah, it's not exactly catchy. Somebody was saying stomp the curve, which I liked. I like stomp the curve. I think flatten the curve is pretty good. Flatten the curve. No, I, I, I guess that flatten the curve feels more inclusive. Like we're all part of it. You know, we're stay home or you're going to die. Right. Just seems, you know, like that's you hollering from the from your front porch. Right. Flattening the curve is about helping other people. Staying home and not dying is about you staying home and you not dying. Yeah. So that is the challenge. Listen, listen, it's Trump who in the end who's going to come up with the catchphrase. He's come up with the greats of our recent years. You know, he's a bit overtaxed. The best he's come up with lately is the cure is worse than the problem. Because somebody told him he can't say the cure is worse than the disease because then he's downplaying the disease. So he has changed it to the cure is worse than the problem. And and then he adds, and we all know what the problem is. (laughs) (laughs) He's losing it. Because we live in a fucking nightmare, Stephen. Uh, just to update you on uh, UK uh, um, politics and uh, news, by the way, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson has just been testing positive for coronavirus. I, I did see that moments before we were to set to record. And it is also worth noting that he gave a press conference uh, recently where he said, I've been shaking hands with people with coronavirus and I'm fine. <laughs> How is Trump? Trump must have this by now. I can't believe he doesn't have it. Somebody on Pence's team had it. So many people at Mar-a-Lago have it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe Kentucky Fried Chicken provides some kind of immunity. And on that note, <laughs> Stephen Merchant, whose approval, again, I desperately seek while on Zoom and off Zoom. Thank you so much for joining us. That was really fun. Thank you so much. I loved it. It was really enjoyable. And you have my blessing and my approval. Oh, worth it. Bye, Stephen. <laughs> Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. When we come back, the phone lines are open. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angels Envy. How can envy be a motivating force that inspires people? I don't know. I mean, Maybe look at look at Elon Musk. I mean, just, you know, <laughs> envy makes the world go round. Envy and FOMO. That's basically it. That's a ba- yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, half, that's capitalism. <laughs> envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, Ooh. inspiring the world to raise the bar. Okay. And Angel's Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. Yeah, I was wondering where we were going with this. Angel's Envy bends the traditional rules of whiskey. It's a little different from all other bourbons out there. This bourbon makes the perfect gift for any occasion. Angel's Envy are the pioneers of secondary finishing in bourbon and one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. With its unique bottle design, Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angel's Envy bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024 Angel's Envy bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. And we're back. Every week during these Back in the Closet episodes, we've been talking with our audience about their new sunless screen-filled lives. This week, I asked if anyone out there has taken up any new weird hobbies. Let's go to the phone lines. Hi, is that Sonia? Hi, John. How's it going? Good, how are you? I'm all right. So, first of all, how you doing? A little bit crazy. They cut our hours at work and I work at a hospital. It's insane. And what part of the country do you live in? I live in New Jersey, South Jersey. And they cut your hours at the hospital? Yeah, because we're considered essential because I'm a financial counselor, but we're not really essential because we don't really have direct care for patients. But we do help with, you know, like charity care and Medicaid and stuff like that. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. So now you're home, and I understand you've taken up a weird new hobby. What are you up to? Uh, Yeah, my coworker and I decided that we needed chickens. So we bought 15 chickens, and we're starting our own chicken coop. 
You have chickens. Yeah. We brought baby chicks so we're that- waiting for them to arrive. Now, is the goal to get them big and eat them or make eggs from them? We're going to do both. Wow. And I've decided that they should all be named after like 90s sitcoms. So the Golden Girls, Designing Women, Banani, and then we're going to eat them. So at some point down the line, your plan is to um, kill the Golden Girls. Little by little. And Betty White will be standing last. <laughs> we're morbid. Just do what we got to do. And where are these chickens? They're actually going to be at my co-worker's house because I said I'll help pay for them and pay for all the materials as long as I don't actually have to care for them. So I'm paying chicken support right now. This doesn't sound like you have a hobby. This sounds like you have an investment. I mean, I'll help if they need me to, but I really don't want to. Mm-hmm. But they are part of my chickens. Mm-hmm. So you, you're funding these in the hopes of having eggs and meat. Yep. You know, in case things really slide downhill, we'll be ready. Okay. Sure. Chicken-wise. Yeah. Sonia? I have to tell you, this is the um, most unexpected first hobby. You're the first person we've called, and I honestly did not expect your hobby to be raising and slaughtering chickens. You do what you got to do in this environment. All right, Sonia, stay safe out there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Love you guys. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye. Hello. Hi, is this Caroline? Yes. How are you doing? So I understand uh, you have a weird hobby, a weird new hobby. A weird new hobby, yes. Well, what is it? Me and my friend decided we would try to make candles because it would be as time-consuming as possible. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we wanted to make them in wine bottles, like those cute little candles you get that are like cut wine bottles. Cut, like slice the top off a wine bottle so it was open, basically, like turn it into a glass. And to do that, we watched all these YouTube tutorials where you tie twine around it and then light it on fire and then stick it in ice. And that is supposed to crack the glass of the wine bottle. So we're not even at the candle stage yet. We're making cups. Yes. And so the idea is you would create a line around the wine bottle and then you make it really hot and then you make it really cold. And then you stick it in ice and that should, the heat and the cold, I don't know, is supposed to crack the glass of the wine bottle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how's that gone so far? Absolutely terribly. We watched it on YouTube and we did everything they did and we tried five different wine bottles thinking, okay, maybe it's the bottle, no idea. It's like Were you easy- drinking the wine? <laughs> the wine was already drank. Okay. And so your hobby is not making candles? We're not there yet. We're still working on it. See, it's become more time consuming than planned, which is great because I'm a teacher. So school is not in session. School is not in session. I mean, I suppose probably the best people at making candles, it's a challenge, are the Amish and they don't have YouTubes. So you can't really find out the great ancient techniques. Have you considered making candles in in other objects like um, candle holders? We moved to that today, and that actually was a success. Who is we? Well, that was just me. It was me and my friend who did the wine bottles. It's sort of sounding like you don't have a friend. It sounds like you're doing this alone. And I feel like it's okay to say that you're doing this alone, like to because halfway through you had a friend and then you didn't have a friend anymore. No, sometimes. Now, is the, your, is the friend, you have a friend? Yes. And they're with you now? Not right now. Not right now. But where are they? At their apartment. So you're a teacher? Yes. What kind of, um, how big are the people that you teach and, and what do you teach them? I teach high school science to adults. So they're like 18 to 26 year olds who are getting their high school diploma. Where are you? Where do you live? San Diego. San Diego. Are you off for the rest of the year or just till May? Do you know yet? In a couple of weeks, we're transitioning online for the rest of the year. And these are adults just trying to get their high school diploma. Yeah. That must be inspiring. It's awesome. They're really great, but it's going to be challenging to do it all online. How are they doing? Um, so far they're doing okay. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see getting everybody, you know, internet access, computers to work on, just things like that. It's going to be a challenge. All right. Well, Caroline, thank you for sharing your weird new hobby. Good luck. I would suggest like skipping right to the candle making and I would do a little bit less glass blowing um, and other hot, dangerous, sharp activities. I was thinking they were kind of science experiments, but we're going to we're going to oh. take it a step down. OK, OK. Maybe maybe a volcano with baking soda. Start there. Good idea. Caroline, thanks for joining. Thank you. Bye. Hello. Hi, is this Colin? Oh my God. Hello. Hi, Colin. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you so much. So great to have you. What's your weird hobby? We understand you have a weird new hobby. My grandma randomly told me, like in passing, that we're maybe related to Chester A. Arthur. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, we're going to do an ancestry like deep dive here. 21st president of the United States, I believe. Yes, that's right. Colin, Colin, I love that project for you. If you don't mind me asking, and if it's if it's uncouth, you don't have to answer. How old are you? I'm 18. You're 18. Have you ever seen the film Die Hard with a Vengeance? Would it make you upset if I said no? No, and I, I, I should address why you were afraid to tell me that you hadn't seen it. But I want you to see it. Okay. Because given your newfound love for Chester A. Arthur, America's 21st president, he figures prominently in that film. Incredible. Um, so what have you learned about Chester A. Arthur? My dad was very quick to point out that he is a Republican. And I was like, that's cute. It was before the party realignment, mm -hmm. but nice try. And I live in Kentucky. Life is hard. Um, okay. I'm getting my entire senior class registered to vote. That's great. It's like 250 people. Yeah. So is this, are you in your senior year of high school? <laughs> yeah. And are you still going to school or, or are you all home? Uh, virtual. Virtual. Right now. How's that been? Interesting, to say the least. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit weird. And like everything is pretty much canceled for the rest of the year. But And your grandma wanted you to research Chester Arthur? <laughs> yeah. Does your grandma often give you homework? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Sometimes she'll just send me newspaper articles and stuff. She'll be like, I thought you'd like this. Do you and your grandma talk about politics? Um, She told me that I should watch Tucker Carlson and that I would learn something. And I was like, let's never talk about this again. <laughs> Any other interesting <laughs> facts about Chester A. Arthur you could pass along? There's apparently a, like a whole discourse about what year he was born in because on Wikipedia, world's most reputable source, mm -hmm. but like on some other stuff, it said he lied about his age and said he was a year younger than he actually was. So technically his birth year is 1829, but he said it was 1830. And then apparently there was a whole fiasco about... <laughs> Because he was born in Vermont, but some people think that's actually a lie and that he was born in Canada <gasps> and that he wouldn't be able constitutionally eligible to be president. But then that whole hoax fell flat. So, Colin, how has it been being uh, home? Are you with your family? Is everybody uh, cooped up? My parents are both working from home. Is everybody splitting the dishes evenly? You're assuming that they were split in the first place. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Colin, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners or love it or leave it? Please don't judge my state by Mitch McConnell and formerly Matt Bevin. Okay. Well, we won't. We won't. I mean, we might. We might judge you for Mitch McConnell. I just think there's no way you can get around that. It's fine. Colin, thanks for joining. Thank you so much. This made my day. <laughs> All right. Good luck with that research project, okay? <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. Bye. Bye. Hi. Hi. Is this Christina? Yeah, it is. How are you doing? Good. How are you? You know, I'm fine. So I understand that you've developed a strange new hobby. 
Yes. So I have this book about like presidents and it has like their birthdays in it. So I just decided to make a Google Doc with all of the horoscopes of all the U.S. presidents and make graphs on them. So uh, have you done anything about Chester A. Arthur? I have his horoscope. And when do you have his birthday listed? Uh, I don't have his birthday. He's a Libra, though. Uh, do you have his birth year? Uh, no. Are you aware that there's actually a pretty big uh, brewing controversy that more and more people are talking about, about when he was born? No, I have not heard that. Um, Sydney, can we get Colin back, please? Where are you from, Christina? Um, I'm from Kansas City. And are you home right now in Kansas City? Yeah, I am. What's Barack Obama's horoscope? He is a Leo. He's a Leo. Yeah. Well, that doesn't seem like a horoscope. That's just a sign. Yeah, I just am looking their signs up right now and then seeing which presidents have like the most and which like are the least. So like there are very few presidents with like Aries, um, for example, there are only three of those. Well, that'd be three out of 40, what, how many, 43 technically? I mean, we call them 44, but it's four, how many, pre what number is Trump? 44. So it's 44 people. Yeah. So three out of 44, it's like a little less than one in 10. So it's like, yeah, it's still feels about random. Yeah, no, it's very random. There's no point to it. Basically, <laughs> this is just like me being able to tell people random presidents for like my bar trick. Like, do you have a bar trick? Yeah, my, my bar trick is I don't go to them. Oh, that would be smart. See, I don't do that. And instead, I guess people's like horoscopes in Myers-Briggs. But when I fail, I can just be like, oh, did you know this horoscope about this president? So Christina is saying that Chester A. Arthur is a Libra, but you have some pretty important new data about when Chester A. Arthur was born. Can you please just fill us in on what your latest cutting edge research on Chester A. Arthur has taught you? That came straight from the most reputable source on the internet, Wikipedia. Yeah, sure. I'm trying um, to talk you up, Colin. I'm trying to big you up here. <laughs> all right. You're on the spot. You don't have to give away the game. What do we know about what what do you know about Chester A. Arthur's real birthday? He said that he was born in like 1830 to like sound like young or, or like to be young or whatever, but he was actually born in 1829. But I don't think that affects the horoscope, does it? I hope that he was born on October 5th, 1829. Colin, does that comport with your data? <laughs> Hold on. I have to go back to He's gotta go to the raw files. He's gotta go back to the stacks. Do we check the footnotes or like, do we care that much? Colin, you are the expert. This is your study. This is your hobby. It feels more like a job now and I'm not even getting paid. <laughs> October 5th, 1829. That's what I have too. <laughs> All right, we did it. We did it. We've got two hobbies, one in Missouri, one in Kentucky, reaching the same consensus. Christina, what, what are you doing in Kansas City? I teach eighth grade. You teach eighth grade? Yeah. Colin's a senior in high school. <laughs> cool. Hi, Colin. Hello. <laughs> you did such a good job, Colin. Thanks for letting us call you back. I'm glad I connected you and Christina. Is that you telling me to leave? I'll leave now. Yeah. For the second time. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not your fault. It's definitely, I don't know how to talk to people, but you did such a great job. Christina, is school closed now in, in Missouri? Yeah. We're trying to figure out like how to make all of this work with like packets. I like have had Zoom meetings with my kids online. That's just everyone showing me their dogs though. So that's not really working. Um, but yeah, we're trying to figure it all out. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, good luck with your horoscope hobby. Um, <laughs> Thank 
Thank you. I hope you really learned something. If you find any statistically significant information about the birth signs of presidents, I'd be really interested to know it. I'd be really interested to find out that there's something to this whole horoscope thing. Um, I don't think there is, but I will send you the data. All right. Christina, thanks a lot. Bye. When we come back, we'll talk to Kara Swisher. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. And we're back. Please welcome back to Love It or Leave It, fan favorite, my favorite. <laughs> the chemistry already palpable. Already palpable. Across, over the screen. Across the universe. Right. Over the Zoom. Kara Swisher. It's hard to be sexy over Zoom. It's hard to maintain our sexy relationship over Zoom, but here we are. Here we doing are persisting. It. Yeah. I was just telling your people about I got Zoom bombed this week. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't know what that is. I was on a public Zoom thing with Jessica Lesson. We were talking about women in tech and the, the spate of stories about women CEOs being jackasses, really. And we got Zoom bomb, which means someone put, started to put porn up, took over the screen and put really dirty porn up on the screen. And we couldn't do anything because what they do is they go from person, they put in like six or seven people and they put the porn up. And then if you shut them down, someone else puts up porn and stuff like that. So we were Zoom bombed. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to like, you know, there are certain moments where that would be welcome, but certain times where it wouldn't. <laughs> this was not good. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a guy's uh, hand. Up. Well, anyway. I don't need to, I I'm wasn't looking you, for details. It was not the crowd. It was not, they should have read the room on the porn, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you wrote a piece in the Times about the uh, way in which this coronavirus crisis has influenced and been influenced by tech. Right. Facebook is seeing an incredible rise in traffic. Amazon is overwhelmed as orders rise because mm-hmm. people are at home. And meanwhile, we've seen reports of coronavirus in Amazon facilities. Gig economy right. workers are delivering food and providing mm-hmm. services mm-hmm. with some risk, real risk, right. uh, to help millions through this period of turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have the companies reacted to their role in this crisis? And have they taken their workers' needs and safety seriously enough? Well, you know, I think the whole question of the gig economy is sort of gets brushed under the surface of, of all the other stuff that's going on at the same time. And I do think this brings into very sharp relief how much these companies rely on gig workers. Um, in the case of Amazon, those are warehouse workers. Those are mostly employees, and a lot of them are employees. But the issue, that, that's an issue of safety. And, and, uh, and every different job has a level of safety right now. Obviously, hospital workers are in real danger. Warehouse workers are in less danger, but still, they're with each other, and there's a possibility of transmission. And so um, how much we rely on these people is really clear uh, through this. You know, we, we use gig workers every day, and the idea of whether they have health care or not is a big issue. Uber, of all things, which has been fighting for people to not be employees and not be thought of, you know, there's a bill in California, AB5, that's about making them, giving them benefits, has now asking the government to pay for their health care benefits. So, you know, everyone understands that in this this crisis, health care benefits are really important, but so are the ability for these people to have some rights um, as employees uh, in the whole ecosystem. So, yeah, I was going to actually ask you about that. So Uber CEO... Mm -hmm as they were working to pass this massive mm-hmm. stimulus bill, said, we really hope yeah. that Congress will take care of independent workers Which as they, they would do. salaried 
employees, it seems to be a, an admission of guilt here that call them what you will. These are people who have one job or, or rely on usually rely on one or a handful of companies as right. their sole form of employment. Well, you know their employees and I know their employees. I think it's the question of what is an employee now, right? And so, I, you know, I had a really interesting talk well before this with Gavin Newsom. We were talking about the idea of what an employee is anymore and, the, and where, how do they have the portability of health care, really. I think that's the most important and expensive thing, but other benefits. Um, and so what's, what will be interesting to see what happens after this is over because there's going to be a lot of unemployment. And so they, they, these, these companies that have basically taken advantage of workers in a lot of ways, um, even though they sort of push this idea that, you know, they get to work when they want. Isn't it great? This, that's their little plug. And it turns out, listen, yeah. Kara, here's the crazy thing. They get to work whenever they want. And it turns out a lot of people want to work all the time. Right, exactly. And so they that's have the to, trick. Yeah. So they have to really, we have to start thinking of how to protect all workers. And I think it puts everyone at risk, not just, and of course, there's the regular sort of contract workers like, you know, waiters and things like that. And what kind of health care, it's really... It does bring into really sharply how people are paid and then what benefits they get and how we can protect them. Because when this is over, there's going to be huge unemployment and, and we have to figure out how to get people back to work, obviously, but how we can help them get back to work and give them better rights. And I think that'll be an interesting wrinkle if this, this happens during this after this period. Yeah, it does seem as though that the magnitude, the scale of the suddenness of the emergency has led people to embrace solutions that they wouldn't for the kind of quotidian crises that come for people every day. We're about right. to do UBI, right. universal basic we income, are. basically, for a short term, mm -hmm. whereas three months ago, that was Andrew Yang's wild ride. You know, America is now a socialist country. Like, it's really interesting when you think about it. The government is the shareholder for everybody at this point. Like, all these companies, are, and it's a bailout. Let's be clear. This is a bailout. It isn't a, a loan, which some, that would have been interesting. Some people thought it should have been a loan to the airlines and everyone else. But it's it's a really interesting thing that when they need to move in, they do move in and do pay for it. And you're right, this $1,000 thing is important to do right now, but is it important to do all the time to give people a break, you know, in terms of that little break every month so they don't feel like they're living hand to mouth. And so I think people will think about this. Although I suspect spending all this money, everyone's going to be a little bit like no more, no more money to people. Yeah, it's, it. it's interesting, too, because it, you know, one of the debates, Lindsey Graham threw a, a fit about unemployment insurance. Even if you don't take him seriously and you don't have to take him seriously, you do see how even Republicans understand that even giving people either unemployment insurance or even just $1,000 a month does increase the negotiating power mm -hmm. of individuals in the marketplace. I think of every one of these Uber drivers, mm -hmm. Lyft drivers, Instacart delivery people, whatever the gig role is, if all of these people had a small amount of income guaranteed every month by the government, their ability to turn down right. the the ridiculous hours a lot of people have to work would give them more power and more and more uh, and possibly, uh, more sweat. Possibly more creativity. The whole idea, Andrew's idea, was that people get creative when they don't have to worry about where the next paycheck is going to pay rent. And so you're going to get more entrepreneurial. You'll not have to pay for other things, other other social money. Money is constantly transferred to people back and forth. It depends on the person, whether it's farmers or whatever. It's There's constant money being transferred back and forth. So this is not anything new. It's just who everybody's going to need help at this point. And what's interesting, getting back to the tech companies, is 
one of the things that's fascinating to them, what I wrote about in this column is at some point, someone's going to have to pay for this. And the people that are making all the money are tech companies. So it's, it's going to be interesting if state and local governments, if the government, if people in Europe start to tax these companies, that's where the money is. Um, and so that'll be an interesting shift for them, because I think when they come out of this, tech companies are going to be much more powerful, the big tech companies, because all the small ones are going to be washed out, culled out of the herd because they can't pay for things or it's too competitive or they've lost their, their edge in the market. And so these big companies will be more powerful than ever. I mean, just to stay on that for one second, you know, you even see AOC saying we are putting more scrutiny on the small benefit that a nurse or a teacher will receive Mm -hmm. than we are on the benefits that would be bestowed on some of the largest corporations in the world, many of which do not play taxes, Amazon included. Right. That was interesting. I and mean, there was a good story in the Washington Post about that, that a lot of the people that are getting these bailouts are people that avoided taxes, avoided all, you know, tried to use bankruptcy as an, in order to take away things from employees. And so, you know, hopefully this will be the idea that we need more employee participation in things and how, you know, the idea of putting people on boards, I've always thought was a great idea. But they, it's right. These people that avoid taxes are getting, not, not the tech companies, they're not needing handouts because they're doing really well and they will do continue to do well. Um, but some of these industries, you know, that are being rewarded for behaviors before, but there is no choice. That's the other thing is they can't really have all these businesses go out of business because it does have an effect on jobs. But it, we're, we're focusing, to me, the wrong way. We need to focus on the workers versus the companies or equally. I don't think there's anything wrong with focusing on the companies. But it seems like the idea, which is you know, very Republican, is you fix the big companies and then they'll help the workers. And that's you know, that has changed. That that deal has long been over for a lot of people. And I think a lot of workers do recognize that. Well, especially when for a decade, we've seen these large companies in the good years do stock buybacks, stock fail buybacks, to invest in their own people, etc. CEO compensation. In the tech companies, it manifests in that the workers do benefit. They get stock options and things like that that make them, at least on paper, before they sell, very wealthy. But the contract workers don't get it. Like, you know, that to me, I've always felt that you know, the idea like, oh, you work for a tech company, you're part of the company, you get stock, everything. Most, I think Google has 150,000 contract workers. It's some number that's, I'm not going to quote the right one, but a lot of these companies operate with contract workers and they don't get the same rights. And I think, you know, during the Google walkout, that was a big issue is a lot of these contract workers had no rights, you know, whether it was sexual harassment or something else. Um, or at one point at Google, they, they had a different color badge and so they couldn't eat in their fabulous cafeterias, which was, you know, it's sort of this two classes of people. And the worry I have with a lot of these gig economy workers and the things that tech is building is one, they become a second class of citizen, a second class of employee. And then two, once they can replace them with AI, they'll be just be gone, like they'll, or they'll be just moved on out. And I think that's really, I think a lot of companies will be like, how can I eliminate workers going forward versus how can I employ people? It also becomes a question around healthcare because, you know, over 3 million people filed for unemployment this week. Incredible. Uh, So that's a vast number of people who are about to, in many cases, either have COBRA or run out of health insurance, Mm -hmm. joining the many people who are still working in the gig economy and not having insurance. And I've seen a lot of, you know, single payer advocates talking about how this is the nightmare scenario in which we're going to have a pandemic, mm-hmm. in which millions of people are told that they need to buy their own health care that they can't afford. Mm-hmm. Um, it is striking how quickly this emergency has led to a lot of questions to be answered by government. Right. The backstop yeah. to Boeing, the backstop on unemployment, the backstop on health care, the backstop on masks, all of this Trump's reluctance aside mm-hmm. that governors, states, 
companies, individuals have all turned to the government. Yeah, we're a socialist guy. We're so, it's so funny, all this, like, don't be a socialist, but boy, does this feel like socialism. Um, and I think, you know, they'll say it's temporary and we'll get back to our money-making uh, capitalism. But what's more interesting to me is something that actually people like Mark Benioff and some others are talking about, and I interviewed someone today who was also talking about it, which is this new kind of capitalism. Like, where is capitalism going? And maybe the best way to market it, like, I hate to say you have to market things instead of calling it socialism. I think it's called compassionate capitalism. And I know people scoff at this, but if there's a way to try to deliver these same messages in a better marketing package, like, you keep using the word capitalism, but the idea of it being different it's more worker friendly. It's more, you know, thinking about healthcare and things like that. You, you might see some of that emerge from this because there's been a big push among certain, at least people in the tech sector about that concept, especially down in the lower ranks of engineers where they just, you know, they don't want to keep making things that hurt people. What's going to happen is there's not going to be a lot of appetite for regulatory scrutiny of these tech companies for sure. And a lot of companies because everyone's going to be busy trying to keep employment going and trying to help American businesses. And so what's interesting is they won't get the same scrutiny that was building momentum rather strongly. But what I find ironic is they've done a pretty good job getting disinformation off the platforms when it comes to coronavirus. And one of the things Mark Zuckerberg said, which I thought was interesting, it's like, well, when it's black and white, we can do it easily. You know, the fact of the matter is they can do it easily. And now they have become publishers. They have become media companies. They've been making editorial decisions uh, all the time. And they find it very easy when it's a virus, but not so easy when it's a toxic political message, which to me is, you know, it's not a physical virus, but it sure is a societal virus. And it's definitely a body politic virus. Right. It's yet another example, right? It's yeah. it's not about black and white. It's mm-hmm. about red and blue. When it's Islamic radicalism, they seem to find the capacity mm-hmm. to uh, remove things from their platform. Now, when yeah. it's misinformation about a virus, they seem to discover the capacity to mm-hmm. remove things from their platform. These problems become much easier yeah. when they're not worried about being yelled at by Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Right, exactly. It's very. I, it's just interesting. And they even weren't as, you know, they've been doing an okay job on anti-vax things. It's just interesting. Like They're capable of monitoring these platforms, and it's a question whether they want to or if they have the political will to do so. You described it as marketing, but in all of these things, whether it's using their platforms ethically by making sure there's not misinformation or treating workers fairly or mm-hmm. supporting government policies that are more equitable, mm-hmm. it's not a marketing question. It's about whether or not this form of rapacious yes. capitalism, libertarian capitalism, yeah. can survive. And I think yeah. what we're learning as we look around is that it cannot. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And I think what's going to be difficult is after this is over is as people get back to work, we're going to forget some of the things that we're already moving forward on, which includes some regulatory scheme work around them. My worry is coming out of this, these big companies are going to be so powerful and very hard to pull back on. There has been, a, you know, a momentum, a slow momentum towards that, but there's going to be no, you know, going into the election, going into what's going to continue to be probably a very polarized country. Um, and maybe it won't be after this, but I, I don't think so. I think, I think one of the things is, is there an appetite to really regulate any companies? going forward, you know, when all we're going to do is thank you companies for giving us jobs kind of stuff. And when bigger companies can weather a great recession. They can. But whether it's a small retailer that's trying to compete with Amazon or a Mm -hmm. small restaurant that had no buffer that's going to close and not come back, we will be left with an even more consolidated economy. When 100%. This is done. And that's what's interesting. I think the idea of that these companies have, you know, billions of dollars of capital just lying on. What's interesting about tech companies, a lot of like companies like airlines and others do live hand to mouth. You know what I mean? And that's why 
tech companies have these, they make fun of them, have these big cash piles in their basements, essentially. It's like Gringotts or something. Um, you know, Apple's got, I forget, 200 billion. I've, Google's got a lot. They've got hundreds of billions of dollars just sitting there. And it creates a situation where in this case, even if their business falls off by a quarter, maybe two quarters, it's still going to be, you know, if advertising goes south a little bit for Google and Facebook, which is their principal business, or if Apple doesn't sell as many phones or whatever, um, in this case, Amazon's going to do just fine. It's like they've got a perfect business for a pandemic. I hate to say that, but, you know, they've got a cloud and delivery. So, you know, you, you wonder if they, if what they can do with that. They did save money in order to be able to weather this kind of thing and that they'll come out stronger than ever. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the criticism for years was they're sitting on this cash. They're sitting on this cash. Why right. won't they spend the cash? And then right. when the crisis happened, a lot of people were like, why didn't Boeing have any cash? Right. We told them that they needed to have cash and they didn't have any bad weather right. funds. But uh, one last question, Kara. How are you? Good, good. Resilient. I've been, I like to say that resilient. I've just been interviewing and suddenly everyone in Silicon Valley is using the term resilient versus, you know, uh, grow, grow, grow. And like, we're resilient. We're going to save things. And so I've heard the word resilient. I'm fine. I'm doing really well. I am resilient. Yeah. So are you. So, but yeah, it, I, go, I go with um, upbeat with occasional moments of profound dread. Really? You have dread? I don't have dread. Occasionally. Really? Occasional moments of dread. Really? I have an apocalyptic view of everything. So I, this is sort of keeping with my way. And I work at home most yeah. of the time. So I'm the original social distancer. Kara Swisher, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Bye. Bye. When we come back, we're going to talk to a Wall Street expert on Trump's desire to get people back to work. Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up. a different tomorrow with Norwegian Cruise Line. Book today and get 50% off your cruise to Alaska, Europe, and beyond. Plus, everyone can enjoy their vacation with free unlimited open bar, free specialty dining, and more. Visit ncl.com, call your travel advisor, or 1-888-NCL-CRUISE. Offer ends soon. Norwegian Cruise Line, ships registry the Bahamas and USA. Restrictions apply. The rest of my life gonna start today. And we're back. This week, as unemployment claims skyrocketed into the millions, Congress passed a $2 trillion stimulus package to staunch the economic turmoil caused by the pandemic and the Trump administration's failure to contain its spread. But even as Congress takes unprecedented action, Trump has suggested that to save the economy, Americans may have to go back to work, even if that leads to increased deaths from COVID-19. I thought it might be good to talk to an expert about this. So joining us from the storied Wall Street private equity firm of French Word and Watson, please welcome investor Scott Kochko. Scott, thanks for joining us. Yeah, what's up? Happy to be here, John. Everyone has to do his or her or their part. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Look, sometimes Wall Street bros get a bad rap, which really sucks because we don't deserve it. I mean, sure, some dudes spend their days acquiring factories in the Midwest to shut down operations and leverage the assets to fund a molly habit that could power every gay guy on Fire Island, which is a really fun thing to do and not bad. But we're also patriots, John. Okay. well, so as a patriot, sort of what has been your response to this? Well, as I was telling my wife, uh, while sort of forcing her to spend more time on the Peloton, because, yeah, we're stuck inside now, but not forever, Margo, and you're going to want to be proud to show your face when you're allowed to go out. But as I was telling her, America needs to stop cowering from this virus. It's time for America to go back to work. But Scott, hold on a second. 
Every medical expert, including the president's own top advisors, do not believe that's safe. Many people could die. Sorry to interrupt, John, but I'm an EMT. Wait, you're an EMT? An economics major talking, and everyone better listen up. Is there a highly contagious pathogen overwhelming hospitals in major cities around the world? Yes. Is the only way to slow the spread of this virus to shut down businesses and stay in our homes? Yes. But this is serious, John. It's hurting the markets, and it's time for Americans of all ages, from the young and healthy to the old and weak lung, to ask not what the markets can do for you, ask what you can do for the markets. Wow. So I'm just going to have to level with you, Scott. That sounds sort of evil. Like you want people to die so the stock market can improve. Look, I don't want people to die, but people will die to make the stock markets improve. Yes, that's part of it. This is war. My grandfather stormed the beaches of Normandy. My father was a Green Beret who crawled through the jungle muck of Vietnam. And now it's our time to sacrifice and storm the beaches of the stock market. So, okay, 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 Scott. So right now, there is a huge number of infections that are happening to doctors and nurses struggling to treat the influx of patients without needed masks and gowns. What about these first responders? Don't you care about them? What about this first responder, huh? Don't you care about me? I care about me. Okay. I wake up every morning and make an espresso because we had to lay off Marianne. And I head to my office. And what do I see? First thing in the morning, blood. You see blood? Yes, I see blood and guts. You see blood? Yes, everywhere. Bloody red lines filled with the guts of hardworking Americans. They're blood red line graphs, to be honest. I'm sorry, you're talking about charts. Yes, you're seeing charts, charts that are showing the negativity, the dips in the stock market, everything just crashing, and it's carnage. It's disgusting. And after a couple hours of that, you know, I got to eat because I got to keep going. I got to keep working. Yeah. And I got to go have lunch. Moving. And you know what happens? I have to go have lunch and I have to see my wife in my apartment. You know what happens when I have to talk to my wife during the day? What happens? It means we have to have a conversation before we've had fucking wine. Honestly, man, it's like super fucking sad and confusing and like i mean it's like i don't know it's like we don't know each other and like i don't it's like super quiet and i don't know so man. it's sort of I been a hard just, time yeah thank it's you. like a hard you're having a hard time connecting with your wife through this thank you yeah a lot of people are having trouble connecting with their wives through this and it's got to stop we got to do something we got to get this economy back in shape and we got to get americans back to work so everybody can start connecting with their wives again and stop being so sad at lunch and shit so i mean i understand that you know it seems like you're going through something here but don't you yeah. think people dying for the economy is a little bit extreme what about the immunocompromised what about the elderly what about the young people who get sick john yeah Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't spell Darwin without win. Can you? I guess I guess no. technically you No, can't. you're a no. smart guy. You can't. Win's right there at the end. You can't spell mm-hmm. without dar either. It's like no dar, you can't spell Darwin without win, John. No, you can't. I I take your point. You yeah, cannot no spell dar. it without win. Right? I'm not I'm not saying there won't be losses, dude. I mean, of course, like you, you don't get anything without losing something. But the ones who survive will be stronger, dude. And they'll be going to restaurants and taking cruises and purchasing timeshares and generating profits. Profits, my boy. Profits. Having the time of their lives. Living the American <laughs> dream. 
But okay, Scott, let me ask you. I, I got to tell you, like, what? I find this all pretty appalling. Are you telling me you would be willing to give up your ventilator if we take your advice and have a massive spike in infections that overwhelm the hospitals? <laughs> <laughs> no way, dude. No. No, I wouldn't even give one of them. And I've got three ventilators in my house. Oh, my God. I paid Tom Hanks, Quattro Mill to create a diversion. Got a couple ventilators. You paid Tom Hanks to create a diversion so that you could have your own private ventilator. Yeah. Yeah. So what? That's what I had to do to secure my health and safety. And that's what every businessman does. That's business. That's the whole fucking point, John. And now we all need to be in business for America. It's time to nut up or shut up. All right? N- nut you- up or, or shut up. I guess I, it all just seems so selfish. I mean, what, what do you think we should do here? I mean, you should be selfish. We should all be selfish for ourselves. And we should be selfish for America. We need to look out for America. All right? We've got a choice to make as a country. Either we continue to, quote, self-isolate and, quote, flatten the curve so the hospitals don't, quote, overflow with corpses. Or we do what's right. We go out, we go shopping again, all right? Like we did to the terrorists after 9-11. That showed Saddam, and it'll teach this virus a lesson too, all right? We need to shop. We need to funnel our cash into this economy. This interview is over. This was a terrible mistake. We never should have had you on the show. Oh, you need to nut up or shut up, John. It's, this is serious. They postponed Fast and Furious up. 9, so I really have nothing to live for. I kind of want to die, man. I, we need to get... We need to fix this. Investor Scotch Kotko, everybody. Bye, 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 bye. Come on. <laughs> Beck Bennett from Saturday Night Live. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out Beck as Launchpad McQuack on yeah. season three of DuckTales, which premieres Saturday, April 4th on Disney XD and Disney Now. Yes, please. It's a great show. Emmy nominated. And when we come back, let's end on a high note. Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the? Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax. You booked a Verbo. And we're back. All right, everybody, let's end on a high note. Things can seem pretty bleak when you're stuck inside all day watching numbers rise on a TV screen or if you're out there doing a very hard job during a very difficult time. Just like last week, we are crowdsourcing our high notes to hear from you some of the good you're seeing in your life. So here it is, this week's high note. Hi, my name is Heather, and I'm calling from Chicago. I just wanted to leave with my high note. I am a return Peace Corps volunteer, and because of this global pandemic, the Peace Corps has made the decision to suspend all Peace Corps activities around the globe, meaning more than 7,000 volunteers had to return back to the United States. These volunteers were coming home to no jobs, no place to live, little money, and um, the returned volunteer community really stepped up. They opened up their homes to them. They're giving them advice about getting jobs and reviewing resumes and picking people up from the airport and giving people food. And it's just really wonderful to be part of a community um, that's there for their fellow volunteer in time of need. And it gives me a lot of hope during this really bleak time. Thanks. Hi, John. 
My name is David from Oakland, California, and my best friend tested positive for coronavirus, and he beat it. He isolated himself like a champion. He felt terrible. He stayed at home. He played his Nintendo Switch. He refrained from getting Taco Bell, which is his true love and joy besides his boyfriend and his dog, and he managed to overcome coronavirus, and he shared his message on social media, and it was shared hundreds of times by people who were inspired, and he is now going to be officiating my wedding at the end of the year. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Hi, John. Uh, my name is Emma. I live in Seattle. And my high note from today was that we got my 91-year-old grandma on a Zoom call, um, but then she had to go because all of her neighbors were going to wave uh, to each other from their porches at noon. So she had to leave our Zoom call for that. Hi, Crooked Team, and especially Priyanka's new cat. My name is Sarah. I'm 26, and I live in Brooklyn. Uh, the thing that is giving me hope throughout this garbage nightmare is um, my whole life I've never really had a close relationship with my dad, but over the last three weeks he's actually called me every day to check in and see how me and my roommates were doing. Um, he even ordered me a thermometer when he found out I didn't have one, and he ended up sending me a pink ovulation tracking thermometer. He did not realize it was an ovulation tracking thermometer, and it's currently the biggest joke in my apartment and my whole family. So I'm hopeful that even though everything sucks, uh, this mess will help me and my dad have a better relationship. Thanks for listening, guys. I love you, Dad. Hey, John. This is Taylor. I'm a student at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. And something that's really helping me and my friends get through this and a way that we can still connect is actually through Animal Crossing New Horizons, where we can at least, while we can't see each other in person, we can see each other on our little islands. So that's been really helping us get through this. Hey, love it. This is Emily Mahaud. I'm calling from Asheville, North Carolina. I work in a clinic. I'm a nurse practitioner, and we met with our clinic staff. Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and by 3.30 in the afternoon, we had a drive-through COVID-19 testing site up and running with a huge amount of community support. We had businesses donating tents, doctor's offices donating testing kits. Um, it was a real community event. Anyways, thanks. Bye-bye. And I just want to remind everybody, if you want to leave us a message about something that gave you hope, you can call 424-341-4193. Thank you so much to all of our guests, Stephen Merchant, Kara Swisher, and Beck Bennett. It is 220 days until the election, and you can sign up to help at Vote Save America right now. Thank you to our grocery store workers and truck drivers and delivery people. Thank you to our doctors and nurses and everybody working in our hospitals. Thank you to our whole staff keeping this show running and everybody at Crooked Media. Have a great night. Love It or Leave It is a product of Crooked Media. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett, Elisa Gutierrez, Lee Eisenberg, and our head writer, former Mike Bloomberg speechwriter, Travis Helwig. Jocelyn Kaufman, Alicia Carroll, and Peter Miller are the writers. Bill Lance is our audio editor, and Stephen Colon is our sound engineer. Sydney Rapp is our assistant producer, and August Dichter is our intern. Our theme song is written and performed by Sure Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Jamie Skeel, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast. And to our digital producers, Norm Malconian and Yale Freed, for filming and editing video each week so you can. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.